So these days, it's easy to feel like we're not super passionate about our work. I feel like people are run down and tired and very often we get into this sector because we are passionate about changing the world. And then something happens over time and we lose that passion. And now we layer over COVID and isolation and all the other things. And it feels like a very distant memory. And what I want for you listeners is to spark that passion again. And so that is what we're going to be talking about on the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and you're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, where we bring you practical and down-to-earth advice on how to get more done for your small organization, because you are going to change the world, and we're here to help. Today's guest is Shilby Dalla Kim, and Shilby is a passion coach, which is fantastic, and She spent 10 years of her uh, professional life working around racial justice, or I guess at the intersection of racial justice, economic development, and social enterprise. And uh, over the last little while has been doing passion coaching, which I think is so necessary. Uh, I've known Shelby for a while, and I know her wisdom will be uh, very well Very welcome to all of you. So with that, it's such a pleasure to welcome you, Shelby, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited for this conversation because I do feel like we get into this work because we want to change the world. We want to have an impact. We want to do good things. And we think of that as passion, but then it burns out. And I don't even know if that's really what passion is and then we need to figure out how to find real passion and show up as a whole to our work and in our lives. I want to start with your story, I guess, and how you came to do this work, having worked in the sector and um and you know built a very what from what I've seen, uh very intentional life and balance and existence where you are creating intentionally all the things that bring you joy and let you up sure i'll I'll start with my um, personal story and situated in my um, immigrant settler experience so coming to canada um when i was eight years old there was nothing more that i wanted than providing financial security for my family you know they sacrificed a lot we moved here there was a lot of uprooting and trying to stabilize ourselves and so Financial security was a key metric of success for me and for us. And as I was navigating um, education and the privilege of going to university and trying to explore and experiment with what I um, might want to do in life, I kept gravitating towards classes and extracurriculars where some would ask, how are you going to make money doing that? (laughs) And then one day I was coming home um, from university and there was a group of people standing outside, um, hanging out. And one of them yelled something across the street directed at me. 
And I'm not going to say it, but it was something racist about my Asianness. And typically, I, you know, I've heard this time and time again, and I usually shrug it off and walk away. But something came over me that day. Something got lit. And I was a very insecure, very shy, um, you know, had a hard time speaking up in class. But in that moment, something came over me and I walked straight up to this individual, looked at them in the eyes and I said, you cannot say that. What you're saying is racist. And I still remember when I said that and then I turned around and I was walking away from this group and I could hear them laughing. I could still hear them mocking me. And it was both humiliating and also invigorating because in that moment, I remembered my power. Mm. And a group of friends, Olivia Lynch, Vanessa Okafo, Shazia Abji, and myself um, co-created a fashion show called Synesthesia. And Synesthesia's objective was to use art, fashion, um, music to create an experience where we can challenge stereotypes that exist about the largest continent in the world, Asia. <laughs> um, and these stereotypes are often um, rooted in ignorance, biases, and also it is racist. And so um, through that experience for myself, I was able to transform my rage into passion for mm-hmm. Janine. And what was incredible was that I got to experience and see the power of passion. So, you know, you asked, um, what is the definition of passion, right? And there are multiple definitions. If you look at psychology, if you look at philosophy, if you look at um, uh, neuroscience, there's multiple ways of describing uh, passion. And so when I look at my ancestry, I'm Korean, South Korean. The word passion is yeoljang. And how that translates to English is yeol means heat and tong means love. Mm-hmm. So it's the alchemy of heat and love that results in action. And that is what I experienced that day. There was love for myself and love for my community that alchemized with heat, that made me move from being stuck, being silent, to speaking up and standing up for myself. And what's amazing about passion is that there was a group of people, people with shared passions around this initiative that came together. And we also saw the power and the magic of what happens when there's shared passions. Mm. You know, this show allowed people to express themselves, for some of us like me to heal, um, for some of us to find a different path in our careers, for some of us we fell in love, you know, and and it's that experience that I forever hold on to as an anchor. And for the last 10 plus years, I've been looking for, experimenting with, trying out to see how can I ensure that I'm using passion as a design principle in my decisions around projects that I collaborate with, 
um, values that I'm looking for in partnerships and, and teamwork, um, as well as romantic decisions, you know. And you know what? I must say, I've learned a lot, you know. Passion is not an absolute thing either. There's nuances to it, um, which I would like to talk about at some point. Um, and I have seen its potency. So I have become a student of building a practice around passion so that people can activate that for the kind of change that they're seeking. Mm. I mean, I think you in some ways just described the sort of origin story of every nonprofit, especially the small ones, right? Which is who we're talking to. Most of our work grows out of that place. And I absolutely love that heat combined with love to move towards action um, is very much what sparks movements and organizations and our work. And I'd love to dive into some of those nuances around, you know, it is not linear, right? It's not, and it's probably not constant. So how, let's talk a little bit about how we can cultivate passion, um, especially as, I mean, as we, I want to say as we get older, um, but as we are in this work for a longer period of time, or as we are in relationships, I mean, you, you mentioned romantic relationships. I think everyone experiences that too, where, you know, that starts to fade over time. So how do we bring back passion um, where that initial action starts to fade into the back of our minds? Often I use a metaphor, fire, to talk about this because mm -hmm. in many myths and cultures um, and also ancient traditions, we liken passion to fire. And so if we think about fire starting and fire building, there's some interesting metaphors that we can use as a way to discuss this topic. So... To your point, right now, many, many people are burnt out. Many, many, many people are burnt out, right? And that's also, think about the language, burning, mm -hmm. right? So the question I have there is using that metaphor, metaphor of burnout, what, what parts of your life are burnt out? Let's get specific, right? Yeah. And... What do you need for burnout care? And that will look different for everybody. What do you need for burnout care? And that speaks to you, but also your team. And then looking at, okay, well, where are the embers? The ones that are still flickering. The ones where there's still some dimmed passions. And then how do you fan that flame? Right. So when we're thinking about fire starting, there's the oxygen that's required. You blow into it, but it also can't be too strong. It has to be just the right amount for the, the embers to pick up heat. Also, it requires fuel, right? What fuels do you need? So for some, it's uh, logs. I mean, I'm using that as an example. Um, tinder. So what fuel will help you? get that ember to grow. Mm. Um, and then finally, a question I ask is, 
which of these passions in your life currently or passion that you had before that may have lost its essence, which of these passions would you describe as harmonious or obsessive? So this is a key distinction that Robert J. Balaban um, speaks about. Um, He does a lot of research on passions. And harmonious passions are ones that are in harmony with other aspects of your life. So let's say I'm passionate about my work. I'm passionate about the cause that I get to work on through my work. And it is in harmony with other aspects of my life because I come home and I feel fulfilled It helps me in my relationships with friends and family members because I show up more happy and fulfilled, et cetera, et cetera. So it's in harmony. And some passions can be obsessive. And one caveat I'm going to add there is that the same passions that I just described as harmonious can also sometimes turn obsessive and vice versa. Mm -hmm. It's not mutually exclusive necessarily. So let's say at some point my passion and that cause become obsessive. It's the only thing I do. It's the only thing I talk about. It's the only thing I put energy towards. It's the um, only thing that makes me feel good. And that can become obsessive. And what that means is it's no longer harmonious with other aspects of your life. I'm burnt out when I come home. I um, give a lot of my energy for the cause, but then with my children, less energy. So it becomes not harmonious and could be obsessive. And so thinking about that as, again, this thing, um, this practice around looking at passions through a nuanced lens mm-hmm. and through discernment for us to identify which of these passions do you want to fan the flame and which of these passions actually do you not want to? Wow, that is such a great distinction. And I feel like we've all seen that, right? We can probably look at ourselves and look at the people around us and have seen those passions go from harmonious to obsessive and back at various points. Um, and I, I want to come back to that around how to contain the obsessive or move it towards harmonious. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about the oxygen and the fuel and moving from first a, a point of burnout where we have, I would categorize too too little space or too little capacity for passion. And then later we can talk about when it becomes obsessive and there's it takes up too much space. Um, so we have, we how do we even identify? I feel like when we get to a point of burnout or um, social isolation, which a lot of people have been experiencing over the past couple of years, we can't, we have to identify what that priority passion is and it can change over time so it might not be what it was do you have any um questions we can ask ourselves or or exercises to help us think about this is this is our passion priority right now yeah i think that first um consideration that can potentially help open up possibilities in the ways we think about passion is one um to practice detaching our identity to the passions first um and this is something also um where we uh 
learn and research passion will uncover is that often our passions are attached to our sense of identity and vice versa. It's itself itself reinforcing, right? My identity as an Asian woman and my lived experience has meant that I'm passionate about this cause. And then my passions about this cause is reinforcing my identity as an activist, right? And it's powerful. It's amazing. And it's something for me with that example, I love claiming. And when we, um, and research also shows that for some people, when they monetize their passion or their passion becomes their profession, they actually, the fire dims. Not for everyone, but for some people. And then for others, it, it can fade. You know, we change, context changes, we're, we're complex beings. And so it can change. And that's also absolutely normal for some folks. Um, and then for others, it's what I use the metaphor of the fire starting and fire growing is that we have to maintain it. Um, and so what are the different tools to maintain? And so back to your question about, you know, the, with the consideration of um, detaching our sense of identity, because that attachment can actually um, prevent us from being able to see passions that maybe exist on the periphery or maybe completely differently on a completely different path. And sometimes that idea that we might be passionate about something else can feel scary, right? And again, research shows that um, many folks are risk adverse and change adverse. And especially given the pandemic, for me personally, there's nothing more important than stability right now. And so um, that can feel and they, that can be scary to be able to ask ourselves, well, what is it that maybe I'm passionate about? Because it might actually lead us to something else completely different. And then our fears of what will people think, or that means I need to change. And that means I, have to, might, I might have to make decisions that will create ruptures and disruption. So those types of um, realities and beliefs might come up to prevent us from actually being able to explore that question. So. Um, being mindful of how those two things can happen. Um, and then the third thing I would say is, what do you need in order to be honest with yourself? Mm-hmm. What do you need in order to be honest with yourself? Because we live in a society where being honest is very difficult. And in, um, for political reasons, too, in, in certain power dynamics, It's hard to be honest because we get penalized, gaslit, um, seen as a nuisance or as a disruptor. And so it's very hard to be honest. And so what do you need in order for you to be honest with yourself is is, is actually the starting question that I use with people that I work with and then creating that container for you. And that, again, will look different for people. Um, And it will also include things like boundaries. (laughs) Yes. I love that. Um, So we start to get honest. We start to identify um, what that passion is for us right now or where we want to go with the passion or build it. Or I, I think your piece around connection between identity and passion is so astute. Like we, this is big. (laughs) This requires us to really question a lot of things we take for granted about ourselves. And so 
we have that container, we create that space to be open to it. But as you said, change is not easy, right? For people. How do we start to, and, and sometimes I think, especially these days, people are looking at bigger changes in their lives and around their passion than potentially they have before because you know whether it's the great resignation or like all these things are happening where people are like I'm done I'm not settling anymore and so how do we continue to either hold space in that container or is it we burst the container how do we move forward with that change um for ourselves I mean, this is two questions, but I also think that it has an impact on the people around us because we probably start to see ourselves differently and our identity will start to change. And that also affects our relationships. So I don't know. That's like a huge, <laughs> huge question. I don't know where you want to start with it, but um, yeah, what have you, how do we move forward? For me, given um, in North America, there are many organizations, um, systems, um, ways of being that are being challenged right now. To your point, great resignation being an example of that manifestation. Um, it's very turbulent and disorienting. Mm -hmm. And so as we're thinking about and building towards a better world, better society, better city, better community, better town, better relations. Um, for me, the anchor, the anchor that will help me stay grounded as we're in this turbulence, disoriented, but also trying to still build, because that's going to be our way out, um, is through values. And I'm not talking intellectual um, values that are universal. And when I say intellectual, I mean what we've been taught um, and intellectualized as aspirations. I'm talking about embodied values mm -hmm. with emotional charge. And humans are storytellers, right? And so we put meaning to things and we put value to things. And the systems that are crumbling right now, that are challenged right now, are the values that we have put, the meaning that we have put on things that have become skewed, where we put more supremacy, more values on um, being a man, being, being uh, white, class, you know, ableism, like those things, those are our values. And we need to shift those values in order to create systems and structures and policies and laws and cultures and relations that can ensure that all of us can not only survive, but thrive. And so what are those values that will help us stay anchored and grounded towards this better world? And I believe passion can be one of our access points to help us clarify our embodied values. So even the story of me walking up, feeling emboldened to speak up, what is that? What is it about that moment that my passion was teaching me? What is it that, that what's the value that I'm willing to fight for? 
Yeah. And I mean, that that brings us right back to what you said earlier around the action piece of passion, right? That it is, it truly, the way you describe embodied values to me is really very much about behavior and action and how we move through the world and not just what we think. Um, And I think that that um, insight is very important in, in how we change as human beings as well, because we can intellectualize and think about things all we want. But the only way we change our story and our place in the world is by behavior and doing things differently. So I think that's a really um, amazing place to think about how you can how you can move forward forward with your passion. Let's talk a little bit about that obsessive. You know, we talked about moving forward and and starting and, and finding that space again. But what happens? I think that a lot of people are also experiencing. Um, you know, I've I've never thought about this before, but. As much as we're experiencing a, a burnout, I absolutely see this extremism, um, which I would would say is that obsessive passion. Uh, and so how do we also navigate that? And, and I would say sort of grounding ourselves or coming um, away from that uh, extremism. Yeah, so I think for... Um, some of the obsessive passions and the ways that they manifest, as I mentioned to you, sometimes, um, I'm sorry, often passion is I, I attached to our sense of identities. Mm-hmm. And um, there is an ego element to that. And our egos can attach to said passions. Um, and one of the ways that it becomes a form of stubbornness or um unwillingness to hear uh, different perspectives comes from ego inflation that thinks that your passion and the ways of being is the only way. And that is something that I think um, can be checked if we don't attach uh, such primacy on one passion. Again, we're we're multifaceted as people, as humans, we're constantly changing. And so getting attached to one passion can mean that um, we don't allow our other multiple multiplicity to also shine. And an example of that is I think within capitalism, we have again put more meaning and value and worth on certain types of professions as your sense of identity. So we determine our worth based on our job. And and then what happens is our passion for our job becomes the only thing that we identify as a passion. And then we don't find worthiness and meaning and value for other elements of our lives where passions also can exist. Like me drinking this tea and drinking it mindfully and enjoying this to me, activates passions. But I think we don't um, give ourselves permission or that time and space or the language to call it that. Mm. And um, and that's because we have, capitalism has co-opted passion to think that it's mostly and only about work. Um, 
that I love. I want to jump off that point because I we're running out of time, but I I feel like that piece around let's call I don't want to call it micro passion, but the finding passion in you know the small things in life. Um, I think is something that we all need to cultivate and that you've done a really good job personally doing. So how let's wrap the conversation or spend a little time thinking about or sharing how we can build a habit of experiencing passion, not just in the, you know, work identity areas, but in the things that bring us joy, that ground us throughout our day, um, mindfulness, tea, whatever it is, how do we cultivate that? I love, um, I love creating passion rituals. So, um, what are the things that bring you heat that alchemizes with love? Mm. And so in your day, maybe there are certain kinds of music that activates that for you. Maybe it's tea, maybe it's, um, writing, maybe it's some kind of texture. So thinking through different senses that you have available to you and to experiment with, okay, well, what, what do my senses like? Mm. And what does that touch or that texture or that smell evoke? And allowing yourself to be mindful and be really present with that activation. Because to your point, passion can also bring pleasure. And I want to read this quote that Adrian Marie Brown says, on pleasure activism, because this is what passion work is rooted in. Pleasure activism is the work we do to reclaim our whole happy and satisfiable selves from the impacts, delusions, and limitations of oppression and or supremacy. Pleasure activism asserts that we all need and deserve pleasure and that our social structures must reflect this. In this moment, we must prioritize the pleasure of those most impacted by oppression. Pleasure activists seek to understand and learn from the politics and power dynamics inside of everything that makes us feel good. This includes sex and the erotic, drugs, fashion, humor, passion work, connection, reading, cooking and our eating, music and other arts and so much more. And passion work is a part of this movement. Hmm. I love that. And as you read that, it actually reminded me of something that uh, Adil said to me. So for those listening, um, this is a, a very distinct memory I have of um, we were, so Adil's your partner a friend of mine as well, who's been on the podcast. And I ran into him at a music festival a number of years ago. And um, we were talking and, and somehow it came up and he's like, what would your kids do in this moment? Like, how would they experience? Because I, you know, at this point in my life, I feel like we have these sort of constraints or you know, expectations around experiencing joy and experiencing fun. And uh, that really 
switched something in my brain in terms of like, can I see the world through their eyes? And can I show up with that, um, being able to experience a joy in all these different areas? Anyways, as you spoke, it, it really triggered that memory for me. Um, so thanks for that. Um, yeah. Can I add a lot? I think it's very important that we find ways to um, experience and continue to experience joy because, and this is what Adrian Marie talks about with pleasure activism, is that pleasure is, is, will help sustain us and our movements. Yeah. And I had, oh my gosh, um, such a, a reminder of that this week uh, with Christina Yunali where um, her murder um, over the weekend meant that the work um, and the catalyst from 10 years ago and the continued work around anti-Asian racism is still a stubborn issue today. Things have changed. This is becoming a bigger movement, which brings me hope and we need pleasure to sustain ourselves. Otherwise, we will burn out. I think that's such an important reminder because, yeah, as much as, and, and this almost ties everything together because as much as we've built movements and built activism, and I see that showing up for all of us uh, in really unprecedented ways, we're also seeing that um the extreme or the the counter pressure or people holding on to old ways and it is a long we it, it's a lifetime of work and to sustain it as you said we need to find joy we need to find balance we need to infuse passion into our into our movements uh, and by movements i mean sort of like activist movements um and our work and everyone in the nonprofit sector is doing this work to some degree. So um, I really thank you for sharing this. I think it's what we all need right now. Um, Shelby, where can our listeners connect with you? My website, Shilby, S-H-I-L-B for Bob, E-E dot C-O-M. And my Instagram, which is Shilby Kim. Awesome. I need to change my last name at some point. They'll <laughs> delicate, uh, but that will happen soon. One day. Uh, thank you again. I think um, this is a, it's that fuel that everyone needs right now to keep going and to rebuild. Uh, intentionally, we've talked about that before on the podcast, and now is a time where we can be really intentional about our decisions and our actions. And I think finding or creating that passion and joy into our work and into our lives is going to get us through the long haul. So thank you so much. And of course, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.